our scripture reading is a continuation of those Beatitudes that we've been reading in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're going to pick up at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 in your pew Bible. That's on page 963, page 963. We'll start at verse 21, and there's a heading in the pew Bible that says, Anger. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother, to be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard and to you and you to be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we've been in this series of messages for a while now about being blessed peacemakers. We chose this particular time for this message because this is a time of the year when our anxiety about... Uh, Politics is particularly heightened, and you know, if you watch the local TV, the campaign ads out of Kentucky, for example, are pretty bitter and ugly. And this is just a time when we see the division within the, the country and even the family of faith accentuated by political things. But it's also just a good time to remember that in all of our human relationships, especially those in our own home, to do the things that Jesus teaches us to do is a sure and certain way to be peacemakers. And so this is why we've revisited this topic. On the topic of anger, you'll remember that when I was preaching this series for men this summer, we visited the topic and we're not going to repeat that so much as to look at it from a different point of view. And the truths from both, I believe, will remain profound for us if we'll take them seriously. First of all, I want to quote Dr. Wayne Dyer. He's, he's very popular on PBS a couple of times a year when they're raising money, and, uh, and yet his teaching is pretty solid about the human condition and how to have peace. And he mentions that uh, in his book, um, The uh, Problem of uh, I just lost my note here. Your erroneous zones. Yeah, there you go. He says that uh, anger is a kind of psychological influenza that incapacitates you just as a physical disease would. He says anger is a choice as well as a habit. It is a learned reaction to frustration in which you behave in ways that you would rather not. Dyer states that severe anger is a form of insanity. And that would seem to explain why Jesus went so far as to say that if you're angry with your brother, you may as well have committed murder. 
Now, I give this a lot of thought, and even on my way over here this morning from my house, I was thinking, you know, do you want to leave that particular paragraph there, or do you want to flesh it out a little bit? Well, if I flesh it out, you might not be here, uh, you might get out of here a little later than usual. So I'll just say this. If he says it's a learned behavior, then I think what he's probably indicating is something that we've all witnessed, and that is when a little one, I'm afraid Ashlyn at some point will stop being as sweet as she is right now. I'm sorry to tell you this, but most of the parents and grandparents in the room will agree with me that at some point between two and three, someone will take her away and replace her with someone that looks just like her, <laughs> but isn't as sweet. And then the journey really gets interesting, but it's all worth it. It's all worth it. And for some reason, some children will throw a temper tantrum and get away with it. There will be those times when, when children will throw a temper tantrum and they'll get results. And, and I, it occurred to me that that's probably what Dyer means when he says it's a learned thing. Because, yes, they'll witness it in their own families. Perhaps if there's a mother or father who's prone to throwing temper tantrums or bursting out in rage, then they'll learn it that way. But I think they also learn it even in a peaceful household simply because parents acquiesce when anger gets results. So we see it in adults, don't we? We've witnessed it in our church families over the years. And I'm not speaking specifically to Shiloh, but as a pastor, I can tell you that in every church, there are people whose temperament is so frightening that they'll end up holding the church hostage because nobody wants to cross them. And it isn't that they're afraid of any physical harm. They just don't want to witness the ugliness that comes out when people who get angry haven't learned to manage their anger. And so the whole point in this message is that we should listen to Jesus' advice and learn to manage our anger and the anger of others, but in a Christian way, in a biblical way. The definition of anger that we just heard gives us a way to understand that it can get out of hand. It can turn into something that is far worse than a little mild frustration. How many of you have witnessed someone working on something, maybe working on the car, guys, uh, or anything else, cooking, anything you want to think of, and it goes wrong, and in an angry rage, you just throw it away, right? Has anybody ever witnessed that? I'm not going to say that anyone here's ever done it, but perhaps you've witnessed it, where someone just gets so mad at something, they just throw it, right? Because anger is a response to not feeling like we're in control. When it feels like we can't change or control our circumstances, one of the responses is to just rage in anger about it. And then it becomes destructive. Because one of the outcomes with anger is destruction. That's the ultimate outcome. It will lead to someone getting hurt. You know, police officers will tell you that one of the most frightening and dangerous situations they encounter is a domestic violence incident. That's a fact. You can look that up in a variety of sources. And they'll, I think it's the second most, they say that a, a highway traffic stop is the most dangerous thing a police officer encounters. Second most dangerous thing that a police officer encounters is a domestic violence incident. And why? Because somebody is raging in anger and often it's enhanced by alcohol or drugs or a combination of the two. 
And it's a very dangerous situation because this anger will result in harm, even death. And so it really isn't that outrageous for Jesus to say that if we get angry with someone, we are in respect being in the same mindset of a murderer. Now that's a little hard for us to hear because we've all been angry, but we've never felt tempted to hurt someone or kill someone, I hope. But then sometimes when you're faced with a person in particular that you just can't get through to, you feel a sense of inability to control the circumstances. It's like no matter what you say, they just don't get it. And whatever you are willing to, to do to compromise is not enough to win their support. And, and I don't know, think of a variety of circumstances. You can become in your mind sort of willing to wish that something would happen to them and they would just get out of the picture so that you didn't have to deal with it anymore. I, I say one of the things that, that uh, sort of a, a nightmare of my own, this is, this is dangerous because I'm ad-libbing here, but one of my personal nightmares is that someone that I care about might have a discussion with another person I care about, or what, what are we gonna do about him? How are we gonna deal with him? You know, I don't wanna be that subject of that sort of discussion. I don't want to be someone that you have to deal with. I hope that I will always be an open-minded and grace-filled person with whom you can discuss things and negotiate about things and find a way of peace. But sometimes we get so frustrated with each other that we can't even, we can't figure out what to do about them. And this, I believe, is where we are on the cusp of anger turning into Jesus's prediction of murder. Because even if there's no physical death, there are permanent injuries to relationships. There are damages to relationships that can't be recovered. There are changes that are impossible to undo. I'm going to go so far as to say that wherever you see an empty space in the pews here, at least some of them were filled with people who were the object of anger or became so angry themselves that they left us never to return. And in that way, we experienced a death, a permanent change as a result of anger. So this business of anger is serious and we've got to be honest with ourselves about it and we have to follow the Lord's precepts. Jesus says, if anybody is angry with his brother, in our ESV translation uh, or, or version out there, and in the footnote, you'll notice that it says that in some of the early manuscripts, it says, without cause. And I think that's an interesting footnote because it's reminding us that there are at least sometimes when anger is justified. And we have to visit that if we're going to find a way to balance our anger and to be obedient to the Lord's teaching. Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, if you are angry, don't sin. In your anger, don't sin. So he acknowledges anger as something that can be an authentic response, but he says don't sin. And I wonder what he means by that. And the only thing I can do when I don't know what the Bible means is go back to the Bible and let the Bible interpret the Bible. That's the safest way to get it right. And I find that in the Bible it tells us, for example, in Psalms, uh, God is a just judge. 
And God is angry with the wicked every day. We hear in Hebrews, Therefore, I was angry with that generation, says the Lord. They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. And then it says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. Psalm 145. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust and the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, a man and his father go in and visit the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. This was in Amos chapter 2, and it was God's primary gripe against Israel at the time. So are you beginning to see that God does get angry, and are you beginning to get a sense of what God gets angry about? God hates injustice. God hates when people defy God's instruction to be just and fair. God hates and responds in anger to people who have been taught the way and then have intentionally neglected it or even overtly disobeyed it. And the one thing that becomes pretty apparent as you read through the scriptures is that when God is angry, it's almost always directly related to oppression. In Psalm 72, we read, May he vindicate the afflicted of the people, save the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. And Zechariah says, And do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Jeremiah says, For if, I, if you truly arm, uh, amend your ways and your deeds... If you truly are patient and, and practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in, his, in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever." And then finally, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 25, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Interestingly, as I read that, those are all things that a lot of church people have told me over the years are my job. And you know, I do my job, and it gives me great pleasure to do it, but I don't do it because it's my job. I do it because it's our job. It's our shared responsibility. It's what Christ calls us to do, is to be people who are the very antithesis of oppressors, people who are radically welcoming and radically gracious who invite the whole community over for a costume party with lots of free candy and lots of laughter and joy. 
And we don't care what color you are. We don't care what part of the neighborhood you come from or what part of the community you come from. We don't care whether you go to church or not. We don't care whether you belong to a different denomination. We simply welcome you because that's what Jesus would do and that's what we want to do because he commands us to do so, to be the complete opposite of oppressors because it makes God angry when oppression happens. And oppression is simply when someone with more power than another uses it to subjugate another. And you know that angry person that holds the church hostage or a family hostage? They're oppressing. They're oppressing. They're enslaving the people around them with their anger so that they're afraid to do anything against the will of the one whose anger is out of control. And so God is angry with your anger when it becomes an act of oppression. God is particularly sensitive to those who are powerless. God cares so much about little people like Ashlyn. God cares so much about the widow and the orphan. God cares not only about those in those specific terms, but basically anyone who is like an orphan or a widow. Someone who is powerless over their circumstances. And so as the church, it's our responsibility to deeply care about those things. Because we love our Lord and King Jesus, we do the things that please him. We do what he has overtly, openly stated are the primary purposes for his being here on earth. To bring justice and righteousness, to bring grace and mercy to offer the hand of friendship and the grace to forgive. Anger just doesn't fit into the picture. And yet we hear that God is angry, and so we ask the logical question then, when am I allowed to be angry? When is my anger justified? Well, wherever you witness oppression, wherever you witness evil, and one of the things that a lot of Christians these days fail to note is that the Bible is primarily written to the people of God. In the Old Testament, it speaks of Israel, but Israel is representative of the people of God. And through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we've been invited to be part of that nation in the manner of speaking. We, too, as Gentiles saved by God's grace, are now among those that would be called the chosen, that is, the ones who have become part of the household of God. For this reason, the whole Bible is speaking to us, and we should accept that it is. That's why you need to hear these truths as being spoken to you, but not only to you, but about your relationships with each other. God seems to be more angry about people within his family being abusive to one another than anything else. Now, we have a tendency to get really angry with people who aren't part of the family and try to get them to submit to our will by legalistically pointing out all of the various rules that they ought to obey. But should we not first make sure that our own house is in order? Isn't this what God really means when he says that we should be of one accord and that we should not oppose one another and create harm to one another in the body. Because until we can treat each other as though they are Christ, and we are Christ, and it, and it is a mutually rewarding experience to walk with brothers and sisters in the faith, 
Until we can learn to do that, what good are we to the world outside the family of God? And so it has to begin within. Are you angry with a brother or sister who is a member of the household of God, saved by God's grace? And if you're angry, is it because of oppression, injustice, evil doing toward another brother or sister? If you're angry because you are offended by the injustice that would offend your king, Lord Jesus, you're probably justified in your anger. But the Apostle Paul says, don't sin. And here's where the sin happens, I believe. Paul says in his letter to the Romans, If it is possible on your part, live at peace with everyone. Do not avenge yourselves, beloved, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is the problem that so many of us get into. We are justifiably angry about something, but then we want to execute judgment for what we're angry about. We want to make people pay for what we believe is truly wrong in the eyes of God, as though it is our job not only to be angry about it, but to call them to justice and then execute judgment. And the Bible makes it clear to us that we can be angry about impropriety, injustice, evil, especially within the body of Christ. But it is God's job to pass judgment and execute vengeance. And God makes it clear in Scripture from beginning to end that God will do so. And just as an aside, because I was thinking about this one on the way here today too, there is a potential for God to use us as instruments of God's justice. But I'm not going to tell you when, how, or why. I'm going to leave that to the Holy Spirit. I can only tell you that from time to time as a pastor, I've had to say within the body of Christ, I'm witnessing an injustice. I'm witnessing oppression. And God hates oppression, especially within the body. And so you must be accountable for that. And as the shepherd of the flock, sometimes I'm given the responsibility of representing that accountability. But that should be approached with tremendous reverence, a great deal of prayer, and sometimes fasting before you would actually act out your role as part of God's plan for justice. Better to leave it in God's hand. Better, as I like to say, to err on the side of grace. So the last thing I want to say is, is it okay to be angry? Well, if it's something that would provoke God's anger, yeah, you can be angry about it if you want. But how should you respond to this righteous indignation? By crying out to the Lord, as the psalmist said, how long, O Lord? How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? The Apostle Peter urged all the Christians, saying, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. I love how he says that. He's not slow. You're just fast. You're just, you're just counting on immediate gratification, and that's not how the Lord operates. He says, then, that the important thing you can do is keep praying. Keep asking for God to take care of things, especially matters of justice. 
learn to suppress your anger and eventually to make it dissipate entirely before it even becomes a thing. It may surprise you to find out that 30 years ago I was a pretty angry person and I spent a lot of time being angry. I was in a, a world that felt very oppressive to me and I felt a lot of anger and felt a lot of disappointment about how things were coming around for me in my life and I held a lot against certain people in my world and as I prayed, because I did pray, it just kept coming back to me over and over again. This anger is not doing you any good at all. It's just raising your blood pressure, clouding your vision, and causing you to look at things in a very literal black and white way. And so over time, the Lord has reshaped and reframed my anger so that I reshape and reframe the things that used to make me angry and the things that still have potential to make me angry. With the Lord's help, you can overcome your temptation toward anger. You can learn to be someone entirely different in the way that you approach the things that frustrate you most. Remember that Jesus, or that Isaiah rather, told us that he gives power to the faint to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You've probably heard that song, He'll Raise You Up on Eagle's Wings. Isn't that what it's about? Overcoming what keeps you down low. Overcoming the things that make you figuratively close to the soil which the Lord has given over for a time to the evil one. If we're going to be blessed peacemakers, we've got to manage our anger. And we have to learn how to respond to other people's anger. And we could do this by following James's advice. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. In other words, before you can overcome, you have to surrender. And you surrender by saying to the Lord, I'm lost without you. I cannot be okay until I die to this flesh of mine and become one of your children, part of your family of faith. You do that by admitting that you're a sinner and there's not a darn thing you can do about it. You do that by asking the Lord to forgive your sins through Jesus Christ, which is God's perfect plan for the problem of sin and death. And then through that, you gain eternal life. And you receive the Holy Spirit, which begins a new birth in you, so that you start your life like Ashlyn, small and filled with some of the Holy Spirit, and then you begin to grow in the Holy Spirit and become a new creation in Christ. Until one day, with God's help, all of those old bad habits from 35 years ago are ancient history in your storyline, and you are a new creation. I'm a witness. And I invite you to join me as a member of the household of God through the compassion and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll pray for you to that end. You don't have to do anything. You can just stay where you are. But if this is a new experience for you, then simply say in your heart, Lord, I'm ready for this. I need this. 
And if I can help you, feel free to let me know at the close of the service and we can pray together and talk. For now, let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts and change our natures, we pray. For those who struggle with anger, Lord, we pray that today would be the day of deliverance. That today the shackles that bind them would be broken and they would be set free. We pray that each moment of anger and frustration might become less violent and, and less out of control and that in time there might be no anger at all. Lord, help us to know when it is right and righteous and good to be angry, but also help us to withhold judgment and wrath and allow you to execute that according to your perfect will. Lord, for anyone who's here today who has perhaps never accepted your grace through Jesus Christ, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit they might confess Christ as Savior and Lord and begin a new life in a redeemed body. As we all look forward to your coming again one day, we hope soon. And it is for your name's sake we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.